0: Welcome in and welcome aboard another episode of a show to be named later. Thanks for joining us here. Whether you subscribe and found us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Radio.com, or wherever you get your podcasts, or if you follow me on Twitter at SethGoldberg17, or on Facebook, Seth Goldberg Sports. Thanks for finding us. Thanks for joining us. Uh, a bit of a different podcast today. Uh, this is going to be. Uh, this is one that I'm. I'm really happy that <laughs> that we did again. Uh, a couple of years ago, a couple of summers ago, I started doing a short-lived podcast with my friend Salmanin, who I worked with at uh, ESPN Syracuse, and basically the idea was. I had never seen some of the best movies ever, in most people's opinion. So I would watch the movies and then we would sit down and we would review them and we called it spoiler alert because there's nothing better than reviewing a movie that's 30 years old because I had seen it for the first time. So. We decided what better thing to do when there are no sports going on and there's nothing to distract us either from watching or talking about these movies than bringing back spoiler alert. So, I watched The Godfather recently, and I got Sal on the phone to uh, break it all down. We do that today on a show to be named later. All right, doing something fun on this episode, as mentioned, Uh, back up in Syracuse when I worked with Salmanine. We used to do this podcast, essentially making fun of me for all these movies I hadn't watched, and we would review them as if they were brand new movies. So uh, we're bringing the podcast back. It's a spoiler alert segment here. Uh, Sal, the movie this week is, is The Godfather. Are you surprised? Now, when I told you I hadn't seen The Godfather, were you surprised that I hadn't seen The Godfather?
1: I mean, having now known you for several years and known about your total lack of cinematic knowledge and experience, I'm not surprised. But just as, like, a normal person, I feel like if you're over the age of, like, 16 and you're living in North America, if you say to me, like, oh, I've never seen The Godfather, I'm like, wait, what? Like, I have to do a double take. So that would be just one of the ones that's right up there with Star Wars and Indiana Jones and I'm sure countless others. The first time you told us all at ESPN Radio, oh yeah, I've never seen any of those movies that would make, I think, just like a normal person in today's pop culture world, just go, what the heck's wrong with you, Seth?
0: <laughs> now, now, uh, you know, a- along those lines, um, are you more surprised that I hadn't seen The Godfather or that I saw, like, seven new movies in the last year?
1: Well, yeah, when you told me that you've actually been watching movies, I was like, that, I think, definitely surprised me more because – you that's just not something that you normally do even though all of your friends tell you like oh Seth like movies are actually good you 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 should watch at least you know the classics the good ones and get up to date on them so the fact that you're actually starting to embrace that rather than I don't know what else it is you would do with your time that's a good thing yeah it's uh it's been more movies
0: i mean obviously I'm watching a whole bunch of baseball games and stuff and and whatever over the summer, but you're finding uh finding more times to fit movies in uh you know I actually went to the movie theaters like a
1: bunch last year
0: more than I can remember going in in quite a while
1: did you have uh i I can't remember if it had gone out of business by last year, but did you have that movie pass thing no i didn't Because I knew a few people who had that. It was, you know, I'm probably getting the details wrong, but something where you paid like, you know, 10, 20 bucks a month, but you could go to the movies as often as you wanted. Like it was a flat monthly fee. So I knew people who would go to the movies, not just once a week, but even multiple times a week. And I think that's why that service went out of business. Because rather than normally you go and you got to pay 12, 15 bucks, whatever it is, to go watch the new Not Avengers. Not a very good deal or... for the movie theaters. Yeah, yeah exactly.
0: <laughs> they're, no, they're... I. One of the times that I went to the theater, they came over to me and they were like, hey, how often do you come to the movies? I was like, I think this is my first time in a movie theater in like two years. They were like, well, then you don't want our monthly pass, do you? I was like, no. Nah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. So before we get into what might be the crowning achievement of modern America cinema, what, is, what are some of the highlights of the, the good of the newer movies that you've seen in the last year?
0: So I saw Parasite. That was really good. Okay. Um, I did see that after the Oscars though. Like before the Oscars, I was like, eh, I don't know. And then it won like every award, and I was like, oh, I should probably go see that.
1: This one, this one's gonna shock you. I can't believe I'm admitting this. You haven't seen I it. have actually not seen Parasite yet. <laughs> I remember when it came out and like several people were like, You gotta go see this movie purposely don't look up anything about what it's about or anything like that. Just go into it. It's awesome. And I think when it initially came out, or at least when it was widely available in theaters down here, was I think like the height of – The football play it was either nfl playoff it might have even been the world series and so it was just one of those things that i never got around to and i was like all right uh, you know i'll i'll watch it when it's like on hbo or on demand or something but i actually put into my phone i think next week it's supposed to become available on hulu right so i like purposely uh stopped myself from Cause after it won the Oscar, it, they like pushed back when they would release it to streaming services. Cause it got a little more run in the theaters before they all closed down. And so I was like, all right, next week when it's on Hulu, like I have it in my phone, you know, Tuesday or Wednesday, whatever it is, like, that's what I'm going to do is finally get around to watching Parasite.
0: Yeah. I rented it on prime. It was like four bucks to rent in my ha- in my apartment. So that was a, that was a good call. Um, and then uh, I mean, I saw like Toy Story, uh, and uh, I saw Rocket Man, the Elton John movie. Uh,
1: uh, there were a bad. couple.
0: There were a couple others that like got nominated for stuff that I saw. I can't remember now.
1: Did but you I saw, watch like, seven uh, movies? Did you watch Avengers Endgame?
0: I've not seen any of the Avengers movies. Uh, like, like, any non, like, like any of the Avengers or any of
1: the Marvel no, movies? No, like none
0: right? of the Marvel movies. Oh my
1: gosh, because there's 23 <laughs> of them.
0: I know, I know. We might have to get started on that because I do have the Disney app.
1: That's good, You, yeah. A good chunk of them are on there and then there's like a handful that are still on Netflix. I actually, with uh, a couple other buddies of mine from SU, uh, we all started once we the quarantine set in for everyone that we're going to try to watch them all in chronological order so not the order they came out with but you know like the original captain america takes place in world war ii so like watch that one first okay. and you know we'll see how long we keep it up I, th- I think so far we've only watched captain america and the first iron man so we'll see if we can keep it up for 23 of them but
0: yeah that's a lot um, of movies Like, I I fell behind the eight ball, and, like, that's just too many. I'm overwhelmed.
1: Yeah, I I mean, contrary to what people say, like, if you're a comic book head or something, like, yeah, you want to see them all, but you don't have to really see them all to still enjoy the Avengers movies and stuff. But, uh, yeah, Avengers Endgame was, like, the cinematic event of not just last year, but possibly, like, the decade as far as everything that that franchise is meant to how cinema and filmmaking operates in the twenty first century. So might be good of you to at least peruse the MCU at some point.
0: I was really looking forward to the new Bond movie, but they quickly pushed that back. Yes. Quickly. Yeah. No, and they got they got out ahead of it. Like they announced that weeks ago.
1: Yeah, now, though, I'm hoping – I don't know if you've seen that uh, a bunch of the studios have released movies that should be in theaters now, but you can – they, like, just put them straight on to Amazon or or whatever. So I'm hoping, like, they do that with uh, some of these movies that were supposed to come out, like James Bond or The Black Widow, that's Scarlett Johansson's MCU movie. Um, there was supposed to be another Fast and the Furious. I know they've pushed those back, but you, you read some of these things that say we could be in for the long haul, you know, into June, July, August, if not longer, that everyone has to be quarantined or socially distant. So put those things on Hulu and Netflix and Amazon now rather than push them all back to 2021, right. which could also just be like, a crazy, crazy year for movies. <laughs> well, uh, they're gonna need I mean, it. Just, yeah, you they're just they're gonna need it after this year coming out. So, yeah,
0: and and uh, new Wonder Woman got pushed back. Also, that was supposed to come out.
1: Oh yeah, that was another one. Yeah, see, well, I actually watched the other day because I had a coupon from uh, if you use the Fandango app to buy movie tickets it like accumulates points or something. I had no idea about this until I started looking up, Oh, there's all these movies you can like rent in your house now. And that's how I learned that I had this like Fandango coupon. So I rented the new invisible man movie that just came out like a month or so ago. It actually wasn't bad. So uh, I'm a fan of the, uh, watch movies that should be in theaters in your house while we're all, uh, Being safe and staying at home. Yeah, look, they can. Is that the movies cost like $20 to rent, like the movies that are in theaters. So that's why I said if I didn't have this coupon that I discovered from Fandango, I probably wouldn't do it. But I could also see some of them, like, you know, the new James Bond or whatever, you know, especially if you are stuck at home with your family or something. Yeah, 20 bucks and it'll be a nice night in for the family.
0: Yeah, I was going to say coronavirus could uh, unintentionally change the movie industry forever. You make these movies available and and if it's your family, if it's, you know, somewhere down the line where you're able to get together with friends and you have three people and it's it's 20 bucks to rent it, that's more than worth it as compared to going to the theater.
1: Oh yeah, I mean I'm still, you know, old school and, you know, there's some movies like you know, Avengers Endgame or 1917, that you want to be in a theater with a big screen and the fancy audio system and all that. And I still just like the whole charade of it. And maybe it's just a generational thing, you know, that I'm sure if you went and took a straw poll of a bunch of kids in high school, they'd be like, no, we don't care. We'd rather sit at home or watch movies on our small little cell phone screens but i still just like the idea of going out and having this communal experience with all these other strangers as you sit in a dark room and watch on a giant screen the movie so you know i i I think you're right but that it is this whole thing is going to possibly change the way we do take in cinema and all that but there are still some things about going to an actual theater that I hope we don't miss out on.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, there are still benefits to it. It's still fun. Uh, Certainly for those big event movies, like you mentioned, like the new star Wars when they come out and the Avenger, the the (laughs) Avengers movies and and things like that. It's still an event. It's still fun. Uh, Let's dive into Godfather here because I I I did finally watch it.
1: I would like to point out as we start this, that, when you and I started doing this a few years ago, just like, you know, randomly in your apartment on, you know, nights when we had a free night, we did not anticipate Bill Simmons and the Rigger Company making this like the number one podcast or one of the top No. Podcasts of their growing empire. So, yes, everybody, and by everyone I mean, like, the four people who are going to listen to this podcast, we are fully aware that what we are doing is, like, a worse version of The Ringer's Rewatchables.
0: Right. Well, but we did it. I don't want to say we did it first, but we came close to doing it first. I mean, we we, we were doing it a couple of years ago uh, when we realized, like, hey, there are all these old movies, and that's great content to uh, to, to kind of dig in on. Make fun yeah. of Seth some more.
1: Yeah, that's more what it was. We were just trying to mock you in the fact that you hadn't been a, apparently a part of American pop culture for most of your life. Exactly. All right, so uh, Godfather, let's, uh, well, first, before we get into it, what did you know about the Godfather? I mean, surely, especially growing up in Jersey, in the tri-state area, like, you have had to have heard references to the Godfather and everything that that spawned as far as its place in pop culture and the genre, et cetera. So what did a pre-viewing of the movie Seth actually know about the world of the Godfather? So I,
0: I mean, I knew like Marlon Brando and, and Al Pacino and I, I knew that they were... It, the stars of it I'll, I'll start there um i knew the the thing about the horse head i mean i knew that like the situation i didn't know like when it was gonna happen but like i knew like about it um i knew the take the gun leave the cannoli line uh yeah um and then it was like a mob. like i didn't i really didn't know that much about the movie like make you an offer you can't refuse like that like i knew that um had yeah that's probably
1: about it any kind of had you ever seen any other mob movies like Goodfellas? or no that watch the sopranos i know that's like you know part of jersey lore now it's like i i, I don't think i've yet to meet someone from jersey who doesn't feel some sort of pride that like yeah the sopranos that's right
0: i um i think i've watched like half of the sopranos okay like I've got so to go you- back and rewatch but that's the extent of it like I haven't seen goodfellas um or casino or any of those other movies
1: all right well goodfellas is, well after godfather part 2 you can skip godfather part 3 goodfellas is is next those I've those heard a lot of people
0: say skip part 3 just don't bother
1: yeah it's not and i actually know since we just brought it up like the ringer i think just did a whole deep dive on it cuz there's some people who do say that there's some aspects of the movie of part three that are good and you know fit nicely into that whole world. I haven't seen part three in years, but basically they, it was kind of a money grab, for lack of a better word. It, they did it years after the fact. I think everybody either wanted or needed money, except they didn't get everybody to come back. Like Tom Hagen is not in Godfather Part Three, they they couldn't get Robert Duvall for some reason. So I think it was like a contract. Yeah, it's just of course you don't need to watch Part Three.
0: All right, I'll skip that one. But I do want to watch Part Two. Like that was my first reaction. Like I I really liked the movie. Like I thought it was awesome. I I'm not breaking any new ground here. Like it's an amazing movie. <laughs> um, but but like my first reaction. <laughs>
1: That needs to be the uh the tagline when you post this, when you put this on Twitter or Facebook or whatever. Oh, I thought it was awesome. <laughs> Ted Goldberg, not the Godfather.
0: <laughs> yeah, like, I know it's not it's not groundbreaking or anything. But my first reaction after was like, okay, I do want to watch like I, I gotta go watch the second one. Um not now because I'm not really in for another three hours of a movie, but I have to go watch the second one.
1: And then after you do, I don't know if it's still available, but at one point HBO had on HBO Go what they called the Godfather saga. And it was, I'm I'm not spoiling anything, but part two tells the backstory of Vito Corleone, how he became Vito mm-hmm. the the Godfather. So it takes play because obviously godfather takes place right we pick it up right after the end of world war ii and it right. goes through the 40s and into the 50s so godfather part two picks up in like the 20s so hbo at one point had they took godfather one and two and edited it together so that it was one giant chronological movie that was like six hours long or something But again, if we're all going to be stuck in our homes for another two, three, four months, there you go.
0: I was about to say, who's sitting down and watching a six-hour-long movie? Then again, I got nothing to do.
1: (laughs) Very true. So before we get into that, let's do the the Seth saga of The Godfather. So just having seen it now, what was beyond just, hey, it was awesome. what what immediately jumps out to you was was there any scene at, at, once you start watching it that you go like oh so that's what that's about or oh now i get it you know sleep with the fishes make an offer he can't refuse leave the gun take the cannoli you know what immediately stood out to you on first viewing i don't know that it was
0: uh necessarily like a scene in particular or anything um just kind of the overall storyline of, uh, you know, Michael being so, uh, so reluctant to have anything to do with that world, and so reluctant to have anything to do with like that business. And then I guess I, I mean I guess it is a scene. And then it just kind of flips, where like um, he he goes um, and they're they're in the restaurant. Yeah. And, and he, and he goes and he gets the gun and he kills the guy in the restaurant. And and that's just kind of the turning point where um, it seemed like up to that point, even as he was going through like the preparation for that, he was like, so anti the whole mob thing. And then, you know, it just kind of flipped in that night in that restaurant and uh, goes the other way where he's now like, okay, uh, you know, I'm I'm in, and now he's kind of fearing the retribution towards his father, and uh, you know, being the guard outside and putting himself in position to take over, and um, and then at the end of the movie, he's essentially, you know, the the end scene is is so similar to a scene at the beginning of the movie, just that it's it's him in in the chair uh, rather than uh, Vito.
1: Wow, it's almost like Coppola was trying to do something there.
0: I, I mean, seriously, who could have imagined?
1: Yeah, I mean, that—that that is one of the overarching themes of not just Godfather Part 1, but really the series is, you know, Michael's reluctance to, in his mind, become his father or his brother Sonny or to, you know, be part of the family business and really to be part of the family. And that's obviously a theme in the, the book, uh, Mario Puzo's who wrote the actual he's a he co-wrote the screenplay uh for part one with uh francis ford coppola but he wrote the book of it of the whole story and that's one of the big themes is family and what does it mean to be a part of the family and obviously family means more than just like the people whose house you all share and you know who you grew up with but you know kudos to you for for picking up on michael and his journey because yeah it's yeah i mean that was really, it's not really subtle there that, yeah he <laughs> doesn't want to be part of the family at the beginning and then at the end he is the family
0: yeah i mean that was the thing that stood out to me the most was just kind of his transformation and and kind of uh, like his way of rolling right into that. Like he clearly, yeah, you know, you said it's not subtle. Like he clearly had no interest in it at the beginning. Like he walks in in his his military uniform still at the wedding and and he's like trying to stay away from everybody. Uh, And next thing you know, he's killing somebody in a restaurant, finding a gun in a toilet and uh, like running the family.
1: Yeah, and especially, you know, there... I'll just, I don't want to get into it since I can't believe I have to say this, but I don't want to spoil part (laughs) two for you. But yeah, that's the whole transition of Michael from when we first meet him in, you know, 1945, when he's just come back from the war and he's the, the college kid and the war hero to what he eventually becomes is fascinating and one of the many amazing aspects of, Not just the film, but certainly Al Pacino in this role, which is one of, if not the most iconic role of his career. And weirdly enough, he did not win the Oscar for this or part two. Or even part three, I think he was nominated for.
0: Of course not. I mean, that's how the Oscars work, right?
1: Yes, exactly. Can I ask...
0: what, can I oh, can I ahead, can I ask ahead. a question about Marlon Brando for a second? Did he did he yeah. always talk with like his puffed out cheeks or did it was no, that for that the was, movie? That was special no, for the roles.
1: That was specifically for the role. He would stuff I I think it was cotton balls. He would stuff cotton balls into his cheeks to give him that puffed out appearance, and then obviously to help with the way he talked so that he had, you know, that kind of low wispy voice and almost like a slurred speech so to speak no that was totally like a brando ism for this part and i didn't realize the first few times i saw godfather again years ago because i'm a normal person so i was not already into my mid to late 20s when i started watching
0: you, you weren't 26 when you saw the godfather for the first time
1: no i was not But uh, the first few times I saw it, and maybe it's just because when you're younger, you always think everyone who's older than you is a lot older than they actually are. But Marlon Brando was only in like his mid to late 40s when he played the role. Really? And obviously, you know, with hair. Yeah, I think he was 47 or 48 when they shot this. And he's supposed to be, you know, in the movie like he's in his 60s or 70s. So that's all, again, part of the physical transformation that Brando had to undergo in order to do this. Because there's a, there's actually an old story that I believe it was the studio or one of the other producers. Somebody who was not Coppola, I think their first choice of who they wanted to play the godfather, which now you think of it and you're just like, oh, well, clearly nobody besides Marlon Brando can play this character, but uh, there was like a big push for uh, Sir Lawrence Olivier, like famous. St- Do you even know who that is? Uh, yeah. Yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> we got to check here, Seth. I mean, but yeah, he was, I guess, like person number one before. Eventually, Coppola somehow convinced them to uh, cast Marlon Brando.
0: Huh. Yeah, like you said, you can't picture anybody else doing that role you know playing that role now um you know it's it's just impossible to imagine somebody else doing that uh to your point i just looked this up uh he was not yet 50 when the movie came out he was in his mid he was he was uh 48 years old when the movie came out so
1: yeah even younger than
0: that shooting it
1: and again i think pacino was like in his late 20s early 30s And so, you know, he's supposed to be the youngest child of the Corleone family. And Brando's only, you know, 17 years older than him or something like that when they filmed it. So, again, spoiler alert, Marlon Brando was good at acting.
0: Yeah, he did a good job in these movies. he was good at the whole uh, movie thing for sure. That, that role is, uh, you know, you mentioned it as being like Brando and uh, you know, you can't really picture somebody else doing it, but you know, look, looking further, like that's, that, that's like one of the biggest roles in American film history.
1: Yeah. So Marlon Brando, And The Godfather is obviously one of the iconic roles in cinema. It's when you just see that shot of him in the tux or sitting in the chair from the beginning of the movie, you immediately know what it is, what it's referring to, everything that that whole world encapsulates. Just like I'm sure... Seeing Darth Vader's helmet or a lightsaber in Star Wars or the Indiana Jones hat and the whip or Humphrey Bogart and his trench coat from Casablanca. Like it's just immediately recognizable as that's a part of film history and American pop culture. And yeah. So again, we're really going out on a lib here. The Godfather is awesome. Marlon Brando's good at acting. That's a super famous role.
0: Look, I have 45 years of hindsight to go off of this. All right. I can hit every note.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What, uh, since obviously, you know, Brando is Brando and one of, if not the best actor of that period or his generation, but. Besides Brando and Pacino, who are any of the other characters or actors that jump out to you, having never seen this movie before?
0: I liked uh, I like Tom Hagen. I, I like that role. Uh, that was an interesting person to me uh, in in the movie, just because like you're you're looking at at like somebody who's outside but welcomed in, right, and is treated as a, a son by. Uh, by veto, and um, you know, again, is like isn't somebody, um, isn't Michael, isn't Sunny, but essentially, like, it seems took Michael's spot in the family business, um, mm-hmm. or at least it felt that way for a little bit until Michael just kind of comes in and you know takes back his his role and and his position. Um, I, I like that role. I like that that person in the movie.
1: Yeah, and again, that ties back into the whole theme of family and what does it mean to be a family to be a part of a family you know is it just the blood you share with people is it something more and that's really and again we i sucks that i can't get more into this since you've only seen godfather part one but throughout the entire godfather saga that's something that tom and the corleone (laughs) family is always grappling with was For all intents and purposes, he is just another one of the Corleone boys and part of the family. But then at the same time, he isn't. I mean, we see Michael just kind of comes in out of nowhere after having not been a part of the family business, not wanting to be part of that world. Even Vito, who is the don of the family, doesn't want little Michael to have to be a part of that world. And all of a sudden he comes in and is just like, "Eh, well, you know, Tom, you're, you're just kind of our Metagon friend. Like, you know, Sonny at one point says that to him, you know.
0: Right. You're only, you're only so much a part of the family. You're only, you're only family to a certain extent.
1: Exactly. And you know, that'll, again, I, I probably should have like rewatched this movie in the last couple days when we decided to do this, since I haven't watched it like start to finish in probably a few months but uh, there's, a, there's multiple times where they kind of say that directly to Tom. Right. This isn't for you. or you know, Yeah, but you're not really one of us. And obviously, you know, we see it in Godfather Part 1 is, you know, once Michael does kind of take the reins after the attempt on Vito's life and he becomes the acting boss of the family – one of the first things he does is he demotes Tom and he says, you're not a wartime consigliere. And he makes his dad Vito, you know, his right. number two and his right-hand man.
0: Yeah. And, and I thought that was one of the, one of the interest one of the reasons why I thought that was an interesting character is, is because he's so, um, he's so important to, to Vito and, and so important to the family and you could tell the role, but then, um, you know, it was almost as if part of getting into the family and, and finding his place um, in the family, Michael had to push Tom out. Like he, he had to like come in and be like, all right, this guy's been doing what I should have been doing. You know, if I, if I had wanted to do this from the start, um, you know, and, and kind of pushed him aside and, and part of him taking power and taking control of things was he had to um, you know, tell Tom, he had to go and get, you know a lesser
1: role yeah and that's again a big part of michael's arc not just in this movie but throughout the entire saga of the godfather is it almost wasn't supposed to be him and you know they again they overtly say that a few times but they always make reference to the fact that he's the baby of the group and he went off to war and he went to college and Sonny, the james conn character is who they were grooming to eventually take over but we see he's hot-headed and then we see fredo's next in line but you know he's doesn't have the mental toughness to to do what's necessary and then obviously you know he kind of aligns himself with the Vegas crowd once he's sent out there. and Right. You know, I mean, the, the fact that at one point he, and I hope I'm getting my, my movies correctly, but when he yells at Michael for Michael yelling at Mo Green, he's like, you don't talk to a person like Mo Green like that. You know, that's just unheard of in this world about you don't take sides against the family and the family's most important. That You know, here's somebody who's siding with outside the family above his own flesh and blood. So, again, it all, you know, like you accurately pointed out, it all comes down to Michael was not supposed to be the guy to take over that there were all these other people that it made more sense or at least on paper seem like well this is clearly how the line of succession goes but ultimately michael's the one who's willing to do what is necessary to keep the family business afloat and to keep the family and i'm putting giant quotation marks around that to keep the family intact and then you see the, that also, though, does have consequences of, you know, doing what's necessary to protect the family. You know, in this case, it involves losing his, his brother, Sonny, in the murder at the, the toll booth. Obviously, what happens with his sister and, you know, her husband, his brother-in-law, the father of his godchild that, you know, he has to give the okay to get rid of him. And then we see there's this divide between Michael and Fredo and then obviously Kay, his wife, at the end of the movie when he tells her, no, there's no way I did all this bad stuff. I'm not a bad guy. Like, you know, trust me, that's all BS. Don't listen to any of that. And then as soon as he finishes that whole emotional scene, all these guys come in and go, oh, Don Corleone and start kissing the ring. So
0: right and and you know that also was interest- that that's also the interesting aspect of it because you we talked about Michael and his reluctance at first, like his wife didn't want anything to do with that either and and seemed like scared and out of place in that opening scene and in the at the wedding and uh like she didn't really fit in, and so like that that's an interesting piece of it too you mentioned that he, he's like no 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 don't worry I, I'm not doing anything only to turn around and and see the you know see see the kissing the ring moments later
1: exactly and, and again that goes to one of the the many threads that they're constantly weaving together about what does it mean to be a part of this family that that means not just that Kay is marrying into the family which is just a normal thing that everybody does whenever they get married is you know all of a sudden your family grows and it's not people that you share a blood relationship to but obviously in this world when you become quote part of the family you're becoming a part of this kind of insidious underworld and there's a lot of things that you don't want to be a part of and don't want to have any knowledge of, and you can either just kind of turn the other cheek or play ignorant or in the case of Kay, and you see this more as the story progresses in part two, you know, it's something that she can't, can't come to grips with that, you know, it's one thing for Michael to say, Oh, that's not me. I'm not like my family which he even says at the very beginning of the movie when they're at the at his sister's wedding, and it's the first time that Kay is meeting the family, and he goes, "Oh, I'm nothing like them, and then we obviously see at the end that he is exactly like them, and kind of the embodiment of everything that he starts the movie saying he's against
0: yeah and and you know that that you say like she she doesn't really come to grips with i, I like we've gone over. I haven't seen the second, the, the second part yet, but that, that doesn't surprise me. Like it it didn't seem like she was exactly coming to grips with it and, and like, okay with, with that that change in transition.
1: No. And, and that's a big part of, of her story arc is that, you know, just like Michael in a way it's, you know, it, it, it's a good contrast between Michael and his wife and that Michael was trying to make it seem like he was totally normal and okay, not being a part of the family that he was perfectly content to be the good little college boy and the soldier who goes off to war and comes home to a hero's welcome. But you kind of, even, even during the wedding, you get this certain sense of, unease about him or that he's kind of outside of his normal self and then by the end of it and then even as what you start to see in in part two we see michael really grows into his skin as he becomes the godfather himself and as he becomes the don of the corleone family whereas Kay, you see initially tries to say oh yeah you know my boyfriend's family may be mobbed up, but, you know, he's not. I can look past that. I'm just here because I love Michael. We're going to start a family. None of that other stuff is is true or it's not going on. And then as Michael delves deeper into the world, we see that she becomes more Uneasy and uncomfortable in what is now her new skin is the wife of a mob boss that 's not actually something that she 's comfortable with or that she wants to be a part of so I, I think it 's an an interesting contrast between these two characters with where they start out when we first meet them and where they in their minds where they want to be and then ultimately where they end up, and that they 're all just vastly different things that are never in concert together
0: yeah and and, you know i know you mentioned it it kind of gets explained and developed further in the second part but you can see it coming together in the first like you could see that that's going to be a wedge um that that could create some problems or a divide that creates some problems uh moving forward it's an interesting development and i mean it look, that's, that's what you can do when your movie's three hours. Uh, you know, you can do all these things in one film. Uh, but it's it's interesting developments of, of each of these characters individually.
1: Yes, yes. And again, I I don't want to spoil too much, but I'll just say, like, you have to watch part two, and then I'm sure you'll have even more thoughts on all this and these characters of of their, their growth or in some cases, even their, their lack of growth, you know, because ultimately, you know, where they want to go and where and who they actually are, you know, is constantly in conflict. So I'll, uh,
0: I'll I'll watch it sometime soon and we'll, we'll jump back on here.
1: Yeah, for sure. What, uh, what did you think of the sunny character, James Kahn? That's another, you know, Iconic scene. Had you even heard about or seen clips of the the toll booth scene before
0: you watched uh, it? I mean, I had heard about it. I don't know that I'd seen it. Um, okay, but I definitely you know, heard about familiar
1: it. Familiar that that was like a famous scene yeah. in movie history. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, I mean, I yeah, I I knew that was a scene. I I knew that was a famous scene in in the the film
1: history. Yes. Was, so, what did you think about once you? finally saw it um i mean it still takes
0: you back you know it's still like surprising in the moment that it happens like you feel like something's gonna happen but i guess seeing it for the first time in the in the the flow of the film it still takes you aback a little bit um you know that it that it happens in that moment and and in that way
1: oh yeah i mean i've seen the godfather too many times to to remember at this point, and you're absolutely right. Every time, you're still like, "Oh my God!" You know, even when you know what's coming, you know, when you see him get off the phone with Connie and he's rushing over there, and you know what's going to happen, you're still, you know, your heart starts to race a little, and you're you're feeling the anxiety and dread, even knowing what's going to happen. So, you know, it's it's a, obviously a, a very well done piece of you know building that suspense and drama and you know the way it all ultimately unfolds with him at the the toll booth getting shot up have you uh read it all or or seen anything about how they actually filmed that scene
0: no i have no i have not read anything about the movie
1: i would recommend it there's i remember watching like a youtube clip on it or you know it might have been a part of a tv show or something but since obviously they filmed this in the early 70s so this was 70 it came out 72 so they filmed it in 71 so almost 50 years ago you know they don't have all the bells and whistles we did now so um they what they used to do back then whenever they were filming scenes that involved somebody getting shot and having to bleed and stuff like that they would have all kinds of little fish wire like fishing wire that they would tape to the end of pieces of fabric on the costume on James Con's suit and then it had like blood in it and all this stuff and then when they say go they would basically Pull the fishing wire, and all of a sudden, you know, it would look like pieces of his clothing are falling off, and all of a sudden there's like blood popping. And, you know, I'm not doing it justice trying to explain it here on a podcast, but, you know, if you look closely, there's, I've, haven't like gone back and tried to start and stop still frames, but, you know, you can even see apparently in some of the shots where you can like see the wires that they're using and, you know, they were sir, They were subservient to the technology they had at the time, but it's still crazy to think about, you know, that's how they had to do those effects back then, whereas now I'm sure, you know, a bunch of people sitting at a computer could do something, you know just right. as good it's not more realistic just sitting at their computer and be like oh james cod we just need you to wear a greed suit we'll do it all digitally and
0: <laughs> yeah we'll just take care of this later don't worry about it we got this
1: what did you think uh of the Sonny character though
0: um i mean i thought it was an interesting character in that he comparing him with um with Michael was interesting because he was the son that was all in, that was, uh, you know, happy to be in the family business and, and was aggressive in the family business. Um, whereas you had this other son who didn't want to be in the business. Uh, then once he got into it, took, I, I thought took like a different tact. Um, you know, and I, I think that it was just an interesting kind of, uh, comparison of the two of them and and that you you made your two sons different you know in writing the film the two sons are made differently in writing the book the two sons are made differently uh to kind of play off of each other
1: yeah without a doubt and then again you know kind of like we talked about earlier you know the the whole notion of how it's laid out on paper versus how it actually goes down in real life that you're right, Sonny is the one who is all in and he wants to succeed his father as the head of the family and, you know, he's going to be the next torchbearer for the Corleones and then we see that what's ultimately his downfall is he's always been hot-headed, prideful, you know. Right. When when they first start, you know, as a group before Michael – goes to the restaurant and guns down uh, the the cop and uh, the, the drug guy that Sonny's the one who's like, all right, let, you know, let get ready. We're going to war. Like, you know, let's set it all up. You know, he's starting to call the shots versus when we see Michael is he, you know, whenever he starts to set things into action, it's very quiet, reserved. I mean, we don't know until after the fact, After the baptism at the end, you know, that Michael pulled all the strings and did everything that was necessary to settle family business, as he says. Whereas, you know, Sonny, as soon as he sees, oh, we got a family problem, Carlos beating up Connie, the first thing he does is jump in a car, even though everybody's yelling at him saying, it's not safe, don't go out, we will send guys, you need bodyguards, but he's just brash, hot headed, like, let's just go out and do. And it is a, you know, like you said, a stark contrast to his little brother who is going to think things out, going to be very deliberate with his actions. And then obviously, you know, he has the big payoff at the end.
0: Right. And it, you know, it's, it's interesting because it, it seems like Michael is more in the mold of Vito than Sonny is. Um, exactly and, yeah. and so then in in that regard, it makes sense that ultimately and and I know that it happened because Sonny gets killed, but like it makes sense that he's the one who takes over and is the next Don because he's so much more in that like uh reserved quiet uh pragmatic leader kind of a role
1: and you'll you'll definitely see more of the the comparisons between michael and Vito. once you watch part two because like i said part two is about how a good portion of part two is about v how Vito came to be the godfather so it's it's good that you picked up on you know who tends to actually follow more in their father's footsteps
0: yeah i mean that that was an interesting thing to watch as well because you you me you mentioned um you know you you mentioned the the transformation and and kind of watching Michael grow um you know you don't know uh you don't know what kind of a role he's willing to take and then once he is uh, the you know the the you know once he's willing to kind of jump in and dive in the the difference between the two sons is interesting that it it almost makes you think like if um if Sonny hadn't been killed like if he had um, if he had got against his instincts and taken a bodyguard or not, you know, run out of the, run out of the house to, to go, um, you know, before he got killed, um, you know, which way would they have gone, you know, which who who would have ended up taking control of the family, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Like if, mm-hmm. if it were a struggle between the two of them who ends up in control anyway.
1: And I think that's part of, Michael's story is not just his initial reluctance to take part of the family or to take control of the family or to do what's needed for the family, but also it ultimately falls on Michael because there's nobody else. When they're initially trying to figure out, well, what do we do about uh, Salazzo and McCluskey and that whole meeting? And then Michael figures out, well, the only real option we have here is me. Cause they'll never suspect me. Right. And you know, excuse me. So it becomes him. And then we see after his brother, you know, after Sonny is killed, Fredo's off in Vegas being Fredo and whatever it is that motivates him. And so there's nobody left to go settle old scores and to settle family business. So It's not just that Michael's reluctant to dive headfirst into this world and to succeed his father, but it ultimately comes down to, well, there's no other choice.
0: Yeah. Now he had to, like there was no other Mm -hmm. option.
1: What did you uh, then think of since we've, we've brought it up a few times of, I mean, there's so many iconic scenes in the entire Godfather saga, but in just this one, You know, I think that the ending is probably the one that I would say the beginning and ending are probably the ones that are most memorable to people is, you know, meeting Marlon Brando the first time. But obviously the the way it all ends with the baptism going on while it's being interspliced with all these different killings and settling family business what were were your impressions of the way that whole finale played out
0: yeah well it's it's um it's a really interesting comparison isn't it like the the baptism and and the new life and um the killing settling the family score and in a way a new life on the family um you know with michael taking over and like kind of starting anew um it, it's kind of like an interesting uh, comparison, there's a word for it that I'm blanking on because I'm not good at this whole film, uh, film critique stuff. Uh, but it, it's, it, it's really comparing.
1: The position? Is that what you're looking for?
0: Maybe. Yeah. Uh, like the, the new life of the, uh, you know, uh, of the baby being baptized in the new life of the family, um, mm-hmm. essentially saying like, Hey, both of these are, you know, the, the family is starting over. Like you're entering a new era, a new life. Um, it's an intri- it's an interesting comparison to a baptism.
1: Yeah, and you know obviously one of the many ways you can look at it as cliché as it sounds is you have the literal baptism going on of the baby and Michael's godchild and then a baptism by fire for what is now the Michael Corleone crime family and we're seeing that you know his first real act or the first thing that he does that kind of announces himself to the world uh which is partly what a baptism is is you're announcing to your community and to the church that you know this child has been claimed by god and by this family to be brought up with this particular religious belief and i won't get too much into Catholic dogma that I don't remember from all the years of going to uh, Catholic classes, but now you have Michael's announcing to the world. I'm in charge now. This is what I'm doing. I'm settling all family business. You know, there's no more pushing us around or wondering what's happened to Vito. Who's going to take over. There's a vacuum in the Corleone crime family. Obviously, you know, Tessio was vying to possibly get Weasel his way in there and Sonny's out of the picture now and Fredo's in La La Land. And so, you know, here's Michael putting his foot down. So I think that's a good way of looking at it. You know, you have this duality of the new life and the birth of a newborn child and then the new life and the birth of a new crime family.
0: Yeah. No. Exactly. Exactly. And and I think that that's that's kind of the the way to look at it. You're you're starting over. You're starting new. You're um. It's you know it's not a new life in the family, but it's a it's a new era, a new uh, a new time. Um, and, and it's kind of signaling like, hey, we're here, right? Like it, Michael. It's almost Michael. Michael signaling, hey, I'm here. I I'm the one running the show now.
1: Yes, and that's it. Yeah, that's exactly what it is and obviously the fact that you know he is literal godfather to his sister's child while also asserting himself as godfather of the crime family and you know that that's something that you know when we first meet Marlon Brando you know that's how people refer to him as is oh godfather even though he is not their actual godfather to all these people and, you know, here we have Michael, you know, assuming both of those identities. So you you picked up on, on what uh, Francis Ford Coppola was uh, going for there. So,
0: I picked up what he was putting down.
1: You, you did.
0: <laughs> that's good because, you know, I'm not always like the, uh, the brightest or, or the one that's at the top of all these things. So I'm glad I picked it up.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm glad that one of the seminal works of uh, American cinema did not go over your head. Nope, nope. Nailed it. All right. Well, is there is there anything we left out or any other random observation? I mean, we only did like a cursory look at all this. You know, there's all kinds of other things about who was initially talked about to be in the cast and the production and all this other crazy stuff that, you know, we could spend hours doing, but just as someone who just saw the movie for the first time, is there anything else that, that jumped out to you or? No, no,
0: no. I mean, I think that's about it. We could do more of this. If I, uh, if I get around to seeing the second one sometime soon.
1: Yes. Yes. And it'll also make it easier to talk about it all as one big story. Right. Because again, the the book doesn't break it up as the films do with one and two. The Godfather part one and Godfather part two in the book is basically all one big story. Kind of like the the HBO thing that I mentioned earlier that they just kind of start out with, you know, so Vito did this and then he becomes the head of the family and then he has his kids and here's what happens with them. So it'll you'll have a, I think a greater appreciation for this movie and a better understanding of all the characters after you watch it.
0: Now to make to make part two, they just went and did the same anti aging stuff that Scorsese did in The Irishman, right?
1: Exactly. Yes. Everybody, they gave the Oscar to Robert De Niro for playing young Vito Corleone, but in reality, it was Marlon Brando, and they just de aged it
0: exactly yeah i mean they look they they had that technology forever they they could have done that whenever they wanted
1: uh interestingly enough i do remember that there there was some story about um robert de niro was initially supposed to be in part one i forget which of the characters he was you know one of the more minor characters you know yeah not one of the the brothers or Tom Hagen or something, but he was initially cast. And then I believe once they cast Al Pacino, some other movie that Pacino was working on, he had to leave to go do The Godfather. And Robert De Niro ended up taking Al Pacino's role in that other movie. So Amazing. The Father Part One. And then it made him available for Part Two. Exactly. And, you know, that's what... <laughs> you know, won him an Oscar and, you know, catapulted, you know, him to fame. It's crazy to think about too that when Godfather One and Two both came out, Pacino and De Niro were both relative unknowns. Right. Which is, you know, now we know them as these titans of cinema and, you know, kinda two of the greatest actors of their generation. But at the time they were just like, oh, go find me some like 20 30 something year old <laughs> italian dudes
0: <laughs> they were typecast
1: unfortunately yes or fortunately however you want to look at it
0: i think you would probably look at that one as uh, as fortunately uh well sal we've uh, we've gone on for for a really long time so we should probably put a bow on this one
1: uh um, yes. But this are. was
0: fun, so I've got to watch another old movie sometime, and we've got to do this again.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: I don't know it's what movie like is next, be... but we'll figure it out.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's not like you're going to have anything uh, keeping you from staying at home and watching movies for the next several weeks or months. So
0: Exactly, exactly. So we'll figure that out, but uh, thanks for hopping on, and uh, glad we could do it again.
1: For sure. All right, stay safe. So that's our spoiler alert
0: podcast. We'll be doing that again. Sal and I really like doing it. Uh, I've just got to come up with a movie to watch. So if you have any suggestions, uh, tweet at me at Seth Goldberg seventeen or uh, get in the comments on Facebook Seth Goldberg Sports or really anywhere you get your podcast, comment and uh, let us know. Uh, which movie we should do next. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining us. I know that one was a little bit longer than what we normally put out there, but thanks for joining us. Thanks for sticking with us. And uh, don't forget, subscribe on your favorite podcast service, whether it's iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, uh, SoundCloud, Radio.com. Wherever you get your podcast. go and uh, subscribe. Get it delivered straight to your phone each and every time. Or just follow me on Twitter, at SethGoldberg17, or on Facebook, SethGoldbergSports, and we'll uh, put these out there each time we do a new episode. So that wraps up this week, and uh, we'll be back next week with a couple more episodes of Show to be Named Later.